Uh, we're going to look at uh, a little bit of the Old Testament, the book of Ezra. To do, help us do that, we're going to w- watch a little clip of something, but we're also going to use something that we use from time to time called menti.com or Mentimeter. If you've got a smartphone, uh, this is a way of you interacting with us and thinking through and praying a little bit. And I want to ask you a question. What are you most likely to give up doing? And uh, it's just between, it's anonymous, we won't know. It's just uh, a way of helping you to think through. It might be any one of these things. It might be praying. It might be keeping fit. It might be going to bed early. It might be eating well. It might be volunteering for something. What is it that if you're honest with yourself, you think this is where the pressure has been on me, is on me, and I'm prone to giving up. It may be coming to church. It may be staying a friend with someone. It may be uh, continuing to help someone in need where we find ourselves at the end of our tether. So just have a little think about that and uh, pop that on your phone. If you're not using Meti, it's fine. There's no pressure to do it, but just want you to think for a moment about that. We're going to think, as we go back to the other computer, we're going to think about Ezra. Ezra is a story of people... Well, at this point, it's a story of people giving up. The entitled employee, did you finish your assignment for the project? He says, no, I was tired, and it looked hard. And then he says, I assume someone does the hard stuff for me. Am I wrong? Dilbert says, I need to have a word with your parents. We probably all have met and come across people who assume that somebody else will do the hard stuff. But I wonder how much of that is in our lives. I wonder where there is perhaps a pressure for us, on us. Say, this is too difficult. I want to stop doing it. I want to give up doing it. I was listening to a podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, where a guy was talking about the importance for humanity and the way God has created us. He said that God has created human beings to create, and I thought, well, that's straightforward, that's obvious. Uh, Lots of us know that being in the image of God means we imagine, we create, we make, we do, we use our hands, we produce, whether it's a meal, whether it's family life, whether it's a work, whether it's craft, whether it's uh, something we do, we create with our hands. But he said, actually, we're made for creation and completion, that God has designed us to finish the job. And he talked about how much of humanity is damaged because we don't finish it. We don't see it through. The people of God had given up. We're going to see why and explore what happens in this. The work of the house of God in Jerusalem, they'd returned to build the temple that had been uh, flattened uh, 60, 70 years earlier. And they stopped doing it. Why did they give up? They started with great plans. They built the altar. You may remember this. You can find these on our YouTube channel, on our website. You'll find the previous talks where we looked at all of this. They had come, and despite their fear of the people around them, you see, the people who were now living in Jerusalem 
were uh, opposed to them coming back and rebuilding. So these people that had returned were either older folks or the children of the folks who had left when uh, Jerusalem had been overrun. And Jerusalem had been re-inhabited by other people, and they didn't want the temple to be rebuilt. And those who were returning were afraid of those who remained. And those who remained were described as enemies. And we looked at what it meant to have enemies a few weeks ago. And they offered to help. But Zerubbabel, which is a great name. There are two great names in tonight's talk. We've talked a lot about Zerubbabel, which I think is a much underrated name. And a little bit later, we're going to come to another underrated names. We've got lots of Joels and Zachs and Joshuas and Samuels. We need more Zerubbabels, and we'll come to the other one in a moment or two. Anyway, Zerubbabel uh, says uh, that he's not going to take their help, and so the people turn on them, and they seek to discourage them and make them afraid. And uh, at that point, they turn and, and try other tactics. Now, the writer of Ezra begins to tell us about something that happens later, and we're going to do it in chronological order, in other words, the time that it happened, not in the order that Ezra tells us, because he then jumps about 20 years and tells us the next thing. And we're going to leave that and come back to it. We're just going to skip a few verses in chapter 4 and come back to them later. So we go to the end of chapter 4, and it says, Thus the work in the house of God came to a standstill because of this discouragement, because of this fear, because of this constant... Uh, sense of people against them, they stopped doing it. And why do we give up? And what can we uh, do when we feel like giving up? Well, let's ask that second question then. Why do we give up? And again, Ben, if you can take us over to Menti and just take us on to the next slide. I just want to invite you, uh, if you can forward it one. I want to invite you to have a go at this question. What is most likely to cause you giving up something? You'll see that we did this uh, earlier this morning, and so you've got some responses already that have come in. But if you want to add yours to those, there's some various options. There is criticism. Uh, there is that it's too difficult. There is that we can't see anything changing, that it's boredom, that something new comes along or that we get tired? What is it that you would say is most likely to cause you giving up something or the, the thing that you're battling with all the time? Maybe you keep going with it, but if you're honest, it's a struggle. And these are the things that you battle with. Great, we're going to swap back computer and we'll come uh, back to Menti a little bit later. Why do we give up? I want to suggest two things, and what came out of that little thing there most was tiredness, and we get weary of discouragement. We get weary of seeing not th things not working very well. Maybe people are not very positive. Maybe we get weary of the anxiety of it all, wondering uh, uh, how it will end or why things aren't working as brilliantly as we want them to. We get weary of the pressure. We get weary, uh, perhaps, of no thanks, of, of not being thanked, perhaps, of criticism. We get weary, and we feel like giving up. 
And it may be that there is something right now that that's how we feel, maybe to do with relationships and staying in a relationship with a person that's difficult. It may be about staying in faith. It may be about staying in some way of calling, of service that God has asked you to do. It may be uh, to do with work. It may be to do uh, with uh, some other part of your life, and it's hard. And what often is going on is that we've lost the vision of why we're doing it. We've lost the sense of purpose. We've lost perhaps that voice of God saying, I want you to do this. I want you to care for this person. I want you to volunteer in this way. I want you to use your working life in this way. I want you to use your talents and skills in this way. I want you to pray and draw close to me. Whatever it is, we lose a sense of vision and purpose and we stop doing it. So what can we do when we feel like giving up? I want to suggest three things that just come out of this passage. And the first is this, is to look for God speaking. The next verse in Ezra is chapter 5. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, Haggai, that's the second name. Can you imagine these two mates, uh, Haggai, Haggai and Zerubbabel? Haggai and Zechariah, two prophets speak. And um, it, 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 we read in Ezra that Zerubbabel uh, and uh, set to work to rebuild the house of God in verse 2 because of what Haggai and Zechariah have said. Now, we're not going to look at Zechariah, but we are going to have a look at Haggai just because he's got a great name. Uh, Zechariah is a fine name. And uh, we could have looked at Zechariah, but we're going to look for a little while at Haggai. Um, Haggai is a small book buried deep in the Old Testament, which you may or may not have ever seen before. But it has these words, and it's the other side of this story. So this is what uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua and the other leaders heard, and this is what they responded to. In the second year, this is giving us the date, setting it up in verse 1. We pick it up in verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Now, that's a very crazy thing because these guys have been called from exile, released from where they uh, were under a, a, a dictatorship, uh, released from the, the Persian Empire where they'd ended up uh, probably in and around Babylon and other parts of the Persian Empire. They'd been released from that because God had miraculously changed uh, Cyrus's heart and allowed people to go back to rebuild the temple. So they'd come back to rebuild the temple with this great decree, this incredible uh, law that was allowing them to do it. So to say it's not the right time to do it was rubbish. But we find very easily that we can convince ourselves of reasons why we can stop doing things. And sometimes we say, oh, it's not the right time. I'll do it another day. I'll do it later. I'll return to it. And there may be other little phrases that we have in our head, which are our explanations as to why we've stopped or why we want to stop. Theirs was it's not the right time. And the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Paneled houses implies affluence. He says, you guys, is it the right time for you to live 
comfortably while what I asked you to do remains undone. And that's the challenge. That they had taken their eyes off what they were being asked to do and let their eyes, if you like, look at their stomachs and their, oh, let's get a bigger house. Let's make the house look nice. Let's, do, let's get these things done right before we do what God asks of us. This is now what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You have eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. He says, everything you do is not enough for you. You want more. You're trying to build your paneled house, but it's never a nice enough house. You're working hard, but it's like sand through your hands. You've never got enough money. Everything you do isn't good enough because you're not doing what I asked you to do, and it's empty. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber. Now he says carefully, think about what you have done. Go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build the house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. What does he mean by being honored? What does it mean to honor God? It means to live a life where we say, you are my Lord and master and what you command for me, what you want for me, is what I will obey. I choose your way above my way. And when we honor God, we live our lives for him rather than living our lives uh, seeking him to bless us. And we've said this so many times, that very often the problem with Western religion and Western Christianity is that we think that it's all about God making our lives better. And he has called us to give our lives to him for the betterment of the world, not just for us. So honoring God is a life that displays his greatness. It's a life that seeks to love our neighbor, that seeks to act justly, that seeks to care for the widow and the orphan and the stranger in the land. It's a, it's a lifestyle that seeks to bless and build and causes other people to say, how great is your God? The God you live for is a God I want to know. The God you live for is the God I want to serve. And God says through Haggai that everything has gone wrong because you've sought not to honor God but to build your own houses. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, which each of you, while each of you is busy, with your own house. We build our own kingdom while the kingdom of God is not being advanced. And he says, you're unhappy because it's all hard work. Because he is not blessing their efforts. He is not giving uh, the harvest that they want. He is not able to multiply what they're offering because they're not doing what he's asked of them. So as they listened to God, their self-interest and comfort was challenged. And their excuses were exposed. 
and their locked honoring of God was rebuked. And they discovered that God was not blessing their efforts, and so everything, everything was hard, hard work, and they were discontent. Clinics are crowded with people suffering from a new kind of neurosis, a, to a sense of total and ultimate meaningless of life. That's so you know that I uh, don't read a huge amount anymore. For whatever reason, I uh, listen to stuff. I listen to loads of different things and podcasts and, and speaking stuff. And I, um, but I did read a book once, and I read this book about... 35 years ago. What's 1984? How many years ago was that? 1984. How many years ago was that? 37. Thank you. That's 37 years ago. I know I read it in 1984 because I read it just before I went to Bible college. Um, and I'm going to read you a quote from it because it's like it was written yesterday. He says this, the 21st century may well be the century. This is written in 1984, about now, the 21st century may well be the century of technologically induced disaffection, characterized by an increased sense of loneliness, alienation, powerlessness, and disembodiment. We feel empty because we stopped doing what God asked of us, our culture, our land. We're so busy building our paneled homes and getting our nicer phones and we wonder why it feels empty. We feel alienated from each other, and we feel powerless because of technologi technologically induced disaffection. I don't want to give you false hopes. This isn't quite the end, but some questions to reflect on uh, at this point. What do we need to return to or not give up on? What excuses have we accepted? What are we weary of doing? And where might discontentment or difficulty be explained by having stopped something we need to resume? If you want to ask a question of clarification, Kath's going to come with some questions. You can add to hers. Uh, by texting the number that you'll see there. Uh, keep it on topic, because uh, we haven't uh, particularly got time to do things off topic. Next Sunday, are we doing questions? Next Sunday night will be uh, an entire Questions of Life session. Uh, the old team is back together, Kath and I, um, for next Sunday night. But just tonight, just, if you've got something about this, this whole area of giving up or discontentment, uh, do uh, text in a question uh, for a few moments' time. Effort only releases its reward after a person refuses to quit. What, what does this quote mean? It means that it's not until you've gone through that brick wall that Dennis went through. It's not till you're on the other side that you see the fruit. But if every time it gets difficult, every time we feel weary of it, every time something new and exciting comes along, if every time we quit, we never see fruit. I've uh, worked for this church for a long time, 31 years. And many times I have thought of quitting. 
about three times a week. <laughs> no, not quite that bad. But I can tell you that when you keep going through those moments, you see more fruit than if we keep going to where the grass looks greener. When faithfulness is our standard, we are more likely to sustain our engagement with tasks that will never end, doing justice, loving mercy, and calling the beloved community, that's our church or church, into being. When what we're aiming to do is to be faithful to the word that God gave us, we are more likely to be satisfied and to stay with it. What can we do when we feel like giving up? The first one was to look for God speaking and to listen to God's word. And then we read in Haggai that the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. They chose to go back. They chose to hear what God is saying and saying, we will do it. They renewed their commitment to honor God. And we read these words that the people feared the Lord. And this is a phrase that I often feel we don't necessarily understand in our uh, context because fear means different things to lots of different people. What did they mean when they said that they feared the Lord? They meant that they respected and accepted that God had the right to command them and tell them what to do, that he was their Lord, that he was their master, that he was the king of kings. They accepted that God could direct their lives and that he had the right to judge them if they disobeyed him. That's what it means to fear God. It means to fear disappointing God. It means that we don't want to get to the end of our lives and hear silence or hear him rebuke. We want to get to the end of our lives and hear him say, well done. It means that we fear separation from him. We fear being alienated. We fear being lost. We fear being without God. But what it doesn't mean is fearing rejection when we repent. To fear God isn't to be afraid of coming to him. To fear God is to know that when we come to him, he will always receive us when we cry for mercy. That we don't fear his anger when we seek his mercy. We fear uh, his anger when we reject him. And we don't fear abandonment because we don't fear unpredictability. And this is the key concept. We fear people who are unpredictable, who may fly off the handle, who will do something suddenly aggressive and violent and angry. And we fear those people rightly. And that is not what is meant here by the fear of God. It's simply saying, God, you're Lord, and I want to serve you, and I want to honor you. And then we discover that they received God's strength. We read in Haggai these wonderful words. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the people, I am with you. When we say, Lord, I'm, I, need, I want to carry on, but I'm struggling. He says, I am with you. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the spirit of the whole remnant. It was something they did together. And uh, someone really helpfully after this morning just pointed out that there's this sense of we don't battle on alone. We don't do these things on our own. We have a community, a church, a fellowship, a body around us who are holding up our weak knees. 
But when they listen to God, it stirs their will and they are renewed in action. And they began the work. And uh, then we have these final great words from Haggai. Who of you left saw its former glory? In other words, who saw, who of you come will see what it used to be like? Not many of you. But he says, be strong, all you people, declares the Lord, for I am with you. And when you come out of Egypt, as you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains among you. And he said uh, that what they are going to receive is even better than what they had before. We'll come to that verse in a moment. I just jumped ahead of myself. But it's this idea that God puts his spirit on them. And Val, in her devotional this week, has picked up on these verses as well, really, really helpfully. And so we receive God's strength as his spirit fills us. And we say, Lord, I I want to keep going, but I'm, I'm struggling, I'm weary, I'm beaten up, I'm tempted by the new, I'm tempted by the exciting, I'm tempted by other things. Lord, will you help me keep going to what I said I would do for you? And there's this verse. And they says, he says, I will be with you, And it will be even better. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. When you go through the brick wall, the other side is more fruitful. As we return to Ezra, then Zerubbabel and Joshua set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. That's going to come in a moment but I want to have a little cartoon. It's called How to Get There. It's one of Michael Lunig's cartoons. How to Get There. Go to the end of the path until you get to the gate. Go through the gate and head straight out towards the horizon. Keep going towards the horizon. Sit down and have a rest every now and again. But keep on going. Just keep on with it. Keep on going as far as you can. That's how you get there. It's easy to come and go. The hard thing is to remain. What do we need to return to or not give up on? What excuses have we accepted? What are we weary of? What might Where might discontentment or difficulty be explained by by having stopped something we need to resume? Where are we looking for God's word to us? What has been God's word to us? For what do we need to ask God's strength? I'm going to invite Kath to come and uh, just earth some of this with some questions, uh, maybe stuff that you've answered otherwise, uh, asked rather, and some stuff that Cass thinks it will be helpful to dig deeper on. So we're talking about giving up, really helpful, all that you've said. Uh, my first question is very simply, are there good reasons for giving up? You've talked about wanting to quit here for the last 31 years. I've just quit here. <laughs> uh, so sometimes there are good reasons Absolutely. Uh, for giving up. And just to tie that into a question we've had in, what if continuing in the place God has called us is damaging us or other people? Yeah, 
Yeah, there are, absolutely, that's a really good question. So there's two things there. One is when, when God clearly calls you somewhere else. So I worked for a church before I came here. Um, and there was just a sense growing over about six months that clearly God thinks time to move on. So absolutely, we need to be open. We need to be hearing when God... I don't think, give, I don't think moving on to something new is the same as giving up. It, they weren't, it wasn't that they laid down something for something else. They, were just, they just stopped doing it. So I think there is a difference between uh, being called into something else. But we do need to check that being called isn't just an excuse. Not, not you. <laughs> but sometimes one encounters folks who are called to something new every six months. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I think where we are being damaged and where we're, da- where we're damaging others, absolutely, we need to stop. We absolutely need to stop if we are damaging others. We need to check that's not just our low self-esteem thinking we damage others. Where we are being damaged, everybody has a different, I think, a different threshold. The pro- this is a real balance. And uh, interesting that I was listening to a podcast around this whole idea to do with the, the, the missionaries in Haiti that had been kidnapped in the last week and, and saying, well, should Christians be in places where they're at risk? And, and really what was being said, I thought was absolutely right, is at the end of the day, if you look in the Bible, there are times when God calls people to leave and there are times when God calls people to stay and, and take it. And that is a decision that we have to hear God for. And sometimes God will say, shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next village. And sometimes God will say, turn the other cheek. And there's no wrong and the right. There are times in Acts where the church flee, fled persecution there was times when Paul was lowered over the, over the wall and escaped persecution. There were times when he went back to the same place and took it again. And there were times when the church stayed in the same place. There are times when uh, Elijah is told to hide in the cave. And there are times when Gideon is told to go out and do it. There isn't a one-size-fits-all. We need to take serious counsel if we are being damaged serious counsel and prayer and and I don't believe that's what God wants all the time for us but there are times when God may lead us through persecution Um, I think that I'm talking there about God's service I think if we are in a relationship that is damaging that is abusive we get out okay Thinking about serving God and not giving up, are there times when it is right to not give up but to step back? You talked about Elijah. There was a moment after Elijah and the prophets of Baal and he was just exhausted. Mm. And I think we've been through 18 months where many people are physically, emotionally, probably spiritually zapped and exhausted. There is a time and a place for, for not giving up but for taking a step back, for resting in God's yep. presence and allowing him to refresh us. That isn't unhelpful sometimes. No, no, absolutely. That's good for us to do. Absolutely. To, to withdraw, to, Jesus does it all the time. He pulls back to a quiet place. Uh, the Sabbath is really, really important. It's a place of rest and refreshment. Um, whatever we do, I mean, for me, it's, it's, you know, walking is really important. So absolutely, it's not about... Uh, 
for me, I wanted to, I've wanted with my prayer at the beginning of my Christian ministry was uh, not to burn out mm-hmm. and to, to, to do something consistently over time. You pace yourself. Our lives are marathons, not sprints. And it's right to take on water, take on refreshment, take the pace. And again, I think that's, there's a, we're much more likely to give up if we just go at it with no rest and, and just go at it full pelt. We've got to go gently at things. And sometimes it's more than just a one-day Sabbath. Absolutely. Sometimes it can be for a season. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. okay. So people yeah. need to not feel guilty because people, I suspect, are under a lot of pressure with work and everything else. And sometimes it's really hard to balance your life and to be able to fit in everything that ideally we'd want to. Yeah. What, what you've got to remember is, is I, I just preach through the Bible and the Bible does say different things to different people in different contexts. And part of what this is to say, does this context resonate with us? If it does, take it on board. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't resonate, it's not God's word for us to today, that's fine, because as you say, you'll find other places where they're told to step back, where Elijah is told to go and hide in a cave. In this particular thing, Zerubbabel has said, you're building your own house first, stop it. So this is not about guilting us into doing stuff no, at all. It's it. not at all what you're saying. Okay, here's a question. If you know there is something that you should be doing and want to do, e.g. praying, reading the Bible, but you struggle to make the time or find the motivation to restart, even though it's something you want to do, how do you practically return to the discipline? Brilliant question. I think... You, we need to be realistic and, and look at our day and say, okay, when is the best time for me to do this thing in terms of my temperament and my lifestyle? Some people meet with God in the morning. Some people meet with God in the evening. Some people meet with God at lunchtime. Don't, we don't copy other people. We may have family or work commitments that impinge, but we've, we think, sit down and say, okay, when, is, when am I most awake? When am I most alert? How do I do that? And I think what I would say is you say, okay, I'm going to do this for a day. Uh, it's, it's like lots of things. We, we just take one day at a time, and we don't give up the first day we miss it. Okay, I have, I've done three days and I didn't make the fourth, but I'm going to start again. And we keep on starting. And then you do three days, and then the next week you might do four days, and the next week you might do five days. When you get to the fact that you've done 40 days, and some people find it really helpful to keep a log, if you can do 40 days on the trot of something, research shows it's there. So the key is to say, I'm going to have another go. I started done two days, and now I've only done one day, but I'm going to keep on it but make sure that that time works, that it's sensible, and find the right place and the right uh, way of doing things. So whether it's writing or listening or walking or or whatever it is, uh, don't set out to say, I'm going to do two hours at six in the morning. Let's be realistic. I want to meet with God for five minutes at nine o'clock or 8.30 or whatever it is, and I start there and I commit and I get that done, I get that habit and that routine and it can build to 10 minutes, 15 minutes. 
And I would say throw into that, ask God to help us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. I would throw into that accountability. Have someone or some people that you say, I'm struggling in this area. Would you pray for me? Would you ask me how I'm doing? Maybe we can do a Bible app together that we can discuss over text message or personally. I think one of the things about this we forget is that we're part of a community. And in your Fat Boy Run video, you showed another bit in the morning. And in the morning, Fat Boy is training to uh, do the marathon. And his friends find different ways to encourage him and help him with his training. Now, their methods are quite interesting, and I wouldn't suggest them for a marathon runner. But there's something in that, isn't there? There's something that we're not doing this on our own, but we're created to do it in community. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And maybe if you find someone who wants the same commitment that you encourage each other and text, text each other, have you managed it to say, how are we doing today? If I'm a little partner in that, it's great, absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right. Asking God to equip us and fill us with his spirit is, is crucial. We won't do anything in our own strength. Okay, another question. When we look for God speaking... What if we can't hear him? I think, I mean, we, there's a whole other subject, and we've done some stuff, I think. We've done some questions of life on, on, on hearing God and not hearing God. I think that if we're not hearing God, or we think we're not hearing God, very often it's, it's just that we don't recognize the voice. I would say two things that are kind of the same. You stick to what you know you've heard. So if the silence, you stay and you don't change, I think, and you, you just stay in what he last told you to do, but you stick to scripture, because whether you feel God is speaking to you or not, the Bible lays out, love your neighbor, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. You concentrate on what you do know. Uh, I think I say in Alpha and I get told off because I made the figure up, I think that, that 80 to 90% of God's will, you already know, it's called love. So if we're not hearing God, say, okay, well, I'm not hearing the specifics, but I know the, I know the, I know the big picture I'm meant to love. And if I was called to this place, I'll stay in this place. If I was called to this job, I'll stay in this job. And I wouldn't move without a sense of call, without a sense of God speaking. And I think that all of us go through periods where heaven seems silent, and that's, that's, that's part of Christian living. And in my reflection, as I look back on those moments when I felt heaven was silent, as I look back, some of those times it wasn't silent, I just didn't want to hear that what I was hearing. Some of the times he wasn't silent, it, it was just sent too obvious to me, and I thought it was something spectacular. And some of the times he was silent. Some of the times he was saying, wait, just wait. And that's a huge biblical principle of just waiting on God and being still and saying, I'm not hearing, so I'm not moving. And I think that's okay. And we've done a session on that in Questions of Life that people can look at. I'd also throw in there, just put ourselves in the way of God speaking. Mm. Come to a service watch devotionals on YouTube, listen to sermons, do lots of different things so that God is able to build us up, encourage us and speak into our lives. Uh, we've had a question on how does God guide, uh, but we have done a whole session on that, on, on questions of life. So if you've asked that, thank you so much. You can check that out on our YouTube channel. I've got one more question for you, and you've only got one minute to answer this question because you're going to 
Well, here we go. Uh, we live in a town that has a mixture of living situations. Do you think we still have separation of the rich and poor, with the rich wanting to be richer? As a church, how can we move away from always wanting more and not giving up on what God has planned for us? It took a minute to think about it. I th- uh, how, how, could you say it again? Okay. We live in a town that has a mixture of living situations. Do you think we still have that separation of the rich and the poor, with the rich wanting to be richer? As a church, how can we move away from always wanting more and not giving up on what God has planned for us? Okay, so first part, I don't find it helpful to, to work out whether people are rich or poor but I, we're part of a fallen world, so undoubtedly that's an issue. I think the second question is the main issue. How can we, what was it? Uh, how can we move away from always wanting more and not giving up on what God has planned okay. for us? I would say you start off by, we start off by addressing our giving. We start off by getting towards a tenth of what we earn, we give away straight away before anything, and then when we've got to a tenth, we go to a tenth of the kingdom of God, and then five, ten percent to the poor. So we try as much as we are able to get to a place where we are giving in excess of ten percent. Now, not everybody can manage that, but I think we strive for that. So I think generosity, I think giving, I think the more we give to other people, the less we want to fill our own barn because we begin to see other people's needs and we, f- we feel joyful in doing that. I think that probably we stop comparing ourselves to other people. We recognize that adverts work, so we stop watching things of adverts. And when maybe we put a limit on how much we're going to spend, how, much we're, how many clothes we're going to buy, how many tech stuff we're going to have, how much we're going to spend on things. So we put some self-imposed limits and say, I want to curb my appetite because materialism is, is it's, it's insatiable. You never, ever have enough. So you have to start, pull it back. Contentment never is coming with having more. It's coming with accepting what you have. So I think that, uh, and I think as this passage talks about, you don't focus on what you can get. You focus on what you can do and give and you focus on how you can serve and how you can make a difference. And so when you're, you're idly resting, you're not thinking about what's the next thing I can buy. You're thinking about who can I pray for, what's going on in this situation, and you, we just focus away from ourselves and into God. And flip it into a general church perspective, Sutton Baptist. So our heart is to bless the poor. We have the food bank. We give away uh, quite a big 25%, percentage. 25%. Okay, talk about those kind of things. Yeah. Well, just that's what we're about, is, is trying every pound that you give the church, 25p of that we give away to something, somebody in need or another mission at work or whatever. Um, and we're not trying to imitate any other church and be look at us the most trendy and technically wonderful. We're trying to be the best that we can be. We're trying to be who God has created us to be. But we're not striving to be something more or different. We're striving to be God's best for Sutton Baptist. I hope so. What do you mean you hope so? I hope so. We are. Well, I hope so. That's what we're aiming for. Right, on that pessimistic bombshell, that is our questions. Thank okay. you. What is it that you want to ask God to help you to do? Lord, help me not to stop or grow weary. 
And I want to invite you to choose three of those things that might just be for what God is saying to you now at this moment. Maybe to pray or to serve or to care or to forgive or to speak up or simply to do our best for God or to grow more like him. Which of these things? Say, Lord, help me not to stop. As we talked about, will you fill me with your spirit? The music begins to play. We're going to pray. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on you. Hear our prayer to pray, to serve, to care, to forgive, to speak. Lord, help us not to grow weary of these things. Help us to throw off everything that hinders and any sin that entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Help us to consider Jesus. Help us not to grow weary or to lose heart. Help us to choose you as Lord and Master. Help us to honor you. Help us to give all our lives to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.